listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Featuring our podcast, One More Thing. Get more info at armstrongandgetty.com. Dave Ramsey, personal money management expert, America's trusted voice on money and business, has a national radio show. It's heard all over the place. He's got seven best-selling books, um, sold many millions of copies, and uh, he's got a heck of an interesting life story as well. And we couldn't agree with this guy more on a whole bunch of different things. There he is, Dave Ramsey. How are you, sir? Great. How are you guys? Oh, we're terrific. We're terrific. You know, we have a lot in common, whether you know it or not, because... We share a lot of your beliefs about uh, financial responsibility and how it, you know it's it's. I don't know if you consider it moral. Do you, do you, is a, like being reasonable with your money, being frugal, being smart. Do you consider that a moral value? Probably is. It's definitely wise. Sure, because I mean, it used to be taught by all the classic religions that that was part of being a good person. Yeah, it's a discipline of your life, and it's an indicator that you're. Uh, you know, you're emotionally, spiritually mature that you handle money well. I mean, you're not a child. Here, here's where it comes up most often on our show is there'll be some government statistic or a conversation, particularly about or around retirement or people, you know, when they're getting older and how much money they've got. And I'm supposed to feel terrible about it. Well, I might feel terrible about person A. Maybe they had bad things happen to them. I don't know. But person B may have always owned a new car and gone on vacations I've never gone on and then lived in a house bigger than they should have. And they got no money at the end of their life. I don't care. <laughs> so it bothers me that, that the news never takes that into, a, in a, into account. Well, because there's, there would be an ideological agenda, obviously, with those folks, so with the news folks and the people putting out that in that way. Because if, if you can say, well, society's sick, and, uh, you know, all of those people are victims of a systemic problem, then we must need socialism to fix it. Right. Yeah, I get, I get what you're saying, but just what a bad message to have for everyone, yes. though. Uh, I, so in real life, just two days ago, um, I'm going to visit my my dad with my kids. They're going to see Grandma and Grandpa. And a buddy of mine said, boy, where your dad lives, he must have really done well in the business he was in. And I said, no, not really. He never made very much money. We just always drove used cars. We lived in a small house. We never went anywhere on vacation. He's just always been really, really frugal. That's frugal. That's why he's got some money. The assumption that you have goob, to make. Some goob says, yeah, some goober says, oh, he's lucky. Right, Lucky's exactly. But right. luck didn't have anything to do with this. So listen, for fans of Armstrong and Getty who might not uh, listen to you or, or be familiar with you, uh, what, what's the uh, introduction crash course to Dave Ramsey and, and, and what you teach? Well, I'll start with I'm honored to be on the Armstrong and Getty show. You guys are legends, oh, man, so thank it. you for having me. No, it's our I pleasure. Appreciate it. I'm honored to be with you. But, you know, it, it is common sense. It's God's and Grandma's ways of handling money is what we always say, and so it's live on less than you make. It's be outrageously generous. It's have a written plan. Stay out of debt because your number one wealth building tool is your income. And when you give it to everybody else, it makes you poor. Uh, you know, it's those basic kinds of things like that. It used to be called common sense, and I've made a really good living for 30 years with it. Yeah, well, I didn't know this about your bio until I was reading your bio. At 26, you'd accumulated a lot of money. <laughs> for a 26-year-old, then you lost it all. What's that whole story? And then what yeah, you learn stu- from it? Yeah, I was stupid. Um, that's, you know, 
Okay. We started with nothing, and by the time I was 26, I had about $4 million worth of real estate, a little over a million dollar net worth. And this is 1984. I made $250,000 cash taxable income that year. In Tennessee, we call that a lot of money Mm -hmm. back then. And so I was doing great, but I'd borrowed too much money. The bank got sold to another bank. I had built a house of cards, and guess what? They called our loans because they freaked out and saw a 26-year-old kid owed them millions of dollars. And it took two and a half years then for Sharon and I to lose everything we owned, and we had the wonderful opportunity to start over with a brand-new baby, a toddler, and our marriage hanging on by a thread. Wow, that's that's something else. And And so starting out anew, what was different about your approach? Um, well, I wasn't just broke. I was broken. Uh, it, it, I, I thought I could do anything and I've discovered I couldn't. And so I, uh, you know, I had to rethink all the stuff I had been taught in academia and check it against scripture and check it against common sense. Because in academia, they tell you that there's good debt. And so borrow as much as you can uh, if it's a student loan or a house. And uh, I, here I sat broke using that exact theory. So something's wrong with this. And I kind of came up with the idea that a broke finance professor is like a shop teacher with missing fingers. <laughs> right. You know, I, I don't think I'm going to follow your best ideas because the last time I did, it left a mark. And uh, so I just got weird. I just said, you know what? I talked to rich people. And they don't borrow money. They don't borrow money. They don't carry credit card balances. They don't have car payments. They drive used cars. Um, They don't borrow money. They go on vacation. They pay for it. They don't borrow money. They get ready to fix up their kitchen. They pay for it. And then the next month, they get to keep their paycheck instead of giving it to some stupid bank home equity loan. And so it was a real revelation, you know, and so I started applying this stuff to my life. And then I started talking about it to other people and it turned into, you know, 30 years later, a Hall of Fame radio show. Who knew? So and and what's interesting to us about the change in the culture from a pay-as-you-go society to everybody borrows to buy everything all the time is that it didn't happen in 275 years. I mean, literally, grandma paid as she went. Uh, are there bad guys in this? Is it just a societal thing? How'd that change happen? Uh, there's bad guys, but they're they're not. It's not a conspiracy theory. They're just uh, they don't care about their customer. Right. And they're called banks. And, and you know, the debt is the most aggressively marketed product in the culture that has the most marketing in the history of mankind. So there's more money spent selling the credit card than any other product in our world today, and we live in the most marketed-to culture in the history of the world. So these guys are really good at getting you in debt and making you believe at the core of your very being that you cannot exist without debt. Well, you can't have a car without a car payment. You can't be a student without a student loan. It's absurd, Ramsey. You've lost your mind. No, got a pretty good life that way. Boy, and the most obvious of business analysis is they're not working that hard and spending that much to get your credit card because they know it'll be helpful. It's because they're going to make that much money. You know, if you notice, their building's bigger than your house, and their furniture's nicer than yours. Something's going on here. It's a transfer of wealth, boys and girls. Boy, and if, you, if you've ever been in the position to pay cash for things, your washing machine or your car or whatever, when, when, you, when you're paying cash, you make different buying decisions. You don't buy the next step up of car if you're paying cash for it. At least that's been my experience. 
Yeah, because it's like real money. It's not yeah, pretend. it counts as real money. <laughs> so, hey, Dave, um, any thoughts on the current state of college education and paying for it? You've mentioned student loans a couple of times. What else? Uh, well, one of our Ramsey personalities, Anthony O'Neill, is launching a book on October 7th called Debt-Free Degree. Uh, we are 100% sure you can go to college debt-free, but it's just like you. It's exactly like you just said. It has to do with college choice. Choosing to go to a school that is within your budget, choosing to buy a car that's within your budget. No one even considers what they're paying for school because it's not real money. It's monopoly money. And, um, you know, and on the political front, this idea of forgiving student loans without the idea of stopping making them is ridiculous. Right. If, if this is a plague on America of epic proportions, which I think it is, then Congress needs to wake up and stop make stop guaranteeing the yeah, loan. I don't know how much time you want to spend on the politics of this, but but it drives us crazy that the discussion is always about whether you forgive loans or not, or how much or whatever. Nobody ever even brings up why is college so damned expensive now? Why why when knowledge is easier to spread around than it's ever been in the history of the world is college ten times as expensive? It doesn't even come up in the conversation. Well, it's supply and demand of money. I can tell you that. I mean, when you have unlimited money, when your customer has unlimited money to spend, you will find a way to raise your prices. Mm. And so you want college price to come down? Stop the student loan guarantee program. Right. Instantaneously, colleges will disappear. And some of them need to because they're ridiculous. And the, the rest of them will adjust to a disrupted market. But this is a market that's propped up by government subsidies, and it's driven the price through the roof. It's basic econ. Right. You don't need to be an economist. You need to be like a first or second year econ student to understand what distorting market is. Um, but in, in, you know, a final note is semi-philosophical. It's interesting listening to you tell your life story, Dave, that it, it, it comes from being humbled. And through being humbled, you decided, I'm the captain of my own ship. I'm strong enough to plot my own course. It's, it's kind of an interesting contrast. Yeah, the problem with my money is the guy in my mirror. Right. If I can get that goober to behave, he can be skinny and rich, but he's got issues. <laughs> <laughs> well said, indeed. You know, it's, it's been too long since we talked. Let's not let too much time go by again, Dave Ramsey. Well, thank you, my brothers. I'm honored to be on the station with you, and uh, thank you for letting me come on for a few minutes. You holler anytime. I'd be happy to do this. We'll do that. Thanks. I'd never heard that story before. I'd, uh, I listen to Ramsey on and off, and I hear all the credit card advice and stuff, and it's all great. I agree with it. But I'd never heard the story of how he had a million dollars when he was 26, and that's when a million dollars was really a lot of money. Oh, yeah. And and lost it all. Well, that you know that'll change your view of things. Yep. Good stuff. You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. Armstrong and Getty. This is the best of Armstrong and Getty. So you remember that story. So speaking of taxidermy. (laughs) I'll talk about taxidermy all day long if you want. I find it a fascinating art. Yes, Sean? Really quickly on the the predictive text. Text me later. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Go Uh, ahead. The one of the more interesting concerns to me is when children use it, it puts a cast on their vocabulary because they're only filling in what is being suggested to them. Ah, I thought good. that was yeah. interesting. Where yeah. in those good. early yeah. formative years, they are not able to grow their vocabulary as much as they should. They also, right. they also a cast is in yeah, it's, it's like binding their feet. Yeah, 
They yeah. also did this test where um, if you're leaving reviews and they give you, when people writing about a restaurant were presented with text shortcuts that were skewed to be more positive, the resulting reviews tended to be more positive than if they were presented with negative skewed shortcut suggestions, researchers found. Hmm. So just out of laziness, I kind of like the food, but it's easier for me to just click on it sucked. So <laughs> Wow. Even if you didn't like it and the three options it gave you were fine, good, and great, you would say, oh, it was probably just fine. As opposed to if you were left to fill out that on your own, you would say, no, it was bad. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Interesting. Yeah. And, and that would be a good way for a business to say, you know, 75% of our uh, reviews are this or that. Yep. So, uh, speaking of tech, Snap today announced Spectacles 3, a redesigned version of their augmented reality sunglasses. Um, What's Snap again? Uh, Snap is short for Snapchat. Oh, the, that is those people. Yeah, yeah. so this is, their, this is a hardware device that can be used for Snapchat, the social media, and will pair with other social media. Is medias. Snapchat still something people do? Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. Snapchat's pretty big. I don't even know what any of this stuff is. The uh, These glasses, which include an HD camera... To create depth perception, um, represents Snap's latest effort to build a new computing platform centered on the face. They will go on sale in November for $380, which is more than twice as expensive as their old model. And so what do I do with them? I take pictures with them? Um, it's the, uh, the idea, Jack. The glasses marquee features the second camera, which enables spectacles to capture depth for the first time. It's um it's you can have HD added to your environment. I'm sorry, not HD, augmented reality, AR added to your environment as you walk around looking at the real world. Oh okay, I get it now. So uh, an example, I can look at a room and in theory these glasses could say, "Oh, that is a 12 by 18 room." It could it could use the That'd be so handy to know the, the dimensions of the room. If you get the right app with it. But these are all very... always laying carpet in these rooms. Sure. I don't know. <laughs> These are these are very much the early just trying to right. figure out the technology and what we can do with it before it gets cheap enough to be right. actually consumer grade. Even I, as stupid as I am, can imagine how great these glasses are going to be someday. And I think we will all be wearing them all the time. I've I've thought that for for a long time. Now, when I first heard, heard of texting, I thought, why would anybody do that? Sounds stupid. So I don't always have the imagination to figure out what people will do, but. Right. Man, when when I can have information available to me, walk, walking down the street in front of my glasses, there's a coffee shop right around that corner. You know, that sort of stuff. Right there in front of my eyeballs all the time. So all you have to do, Jack, is open Snapchat on your phone, snap it into the viewer, and you'll be able to view more immersive versions of your photos and videos. This will make us all insane. Probably. They get to the, the point of this in the very last paragraph. Um... Taking snaps on spectacles, transferring them to my phone, and only then being able to edit and share them felt like too much work. Um, so evidently, the point of these things is you can just look at stuff and take pictures of it, and then post it to your freaking social media account hmm. so that the world can ignore it. Yeah, they have very much kind of a spy glass effect to it, where you, you you just in your wherever you're looking, you just tap the side and click. You you've you've snapped a picture. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it keeps track of all your location data, and that's where the money is. Probably, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's well, funny. the money's in the fact that these things cost three hundred plus bucks. Too. That's that's plenty. Yeah. But I can already. I'm looking at the glasses, so they got the like iPhone camera up on the side of the glasses. But I've got one on my iPhone, so this is just keeping me from lifting my phone up to my face. Is that what exactly. I'm doing? Okay. Yes. 
Yes. It's much harder to, say, take a picture with your iPhone and juggle at the same time. I right. can juggle and take all sorts of pictures with these Absolutely. now. As I want to do. <laughs> well, and occasionally you want to picture, take a picture of somebody without their knowing it. Well, what kind of weirdo are you? What are you doing? How long a description do you want? <laughs> Hooching around. You've known me forever. I'm this kind of weirdo. <laughs> now, like, I'm in this uh, restaurant the other day that actually has a, a dress code, and this guy's in there. He's in an undersized T-shirt that's showing his lower back. Yes. <laughs> little peekaboo fashion. <laughs> Very sexy, sir. And Just I a want... little hint of what's coming later, if you're lucky. And I, oh, golly. And I wanted to take a picture to, uh, to text to shame my him. friends. And, to shame uh, him, yes. Well, and so I, I looked at my phone. Hmm, I'm going to be darned. The New York Times says Vladimir Putin. And I lift it a little higher and higher. And I click. Take it real quickly. Oh, yeah. Got it. Got the shot. Make sure you turn off your camera sounds on your phone when you're trying to do incognito pics. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I always do that. I hate noises. I don't like any noises. That's what happened to my wife when she was at the <laughs> convenience store and she heard clicks and some guy was taking a picture of her pictures of her once. Oh, really weirded really? her out. Yeah. But that was pervin on her, right? Or yeah. 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 But yeah. still you don't want that. No. On either end, really. No. That's terrible. Yeah. On the um, other hand, violations of dress codes are a bit of a passion <laughs> for me. <laughs> passion, you say? <laughs> I say so. You have no ascot. <laughs> You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Featuring our podcast, One More Thing. Get more info at armstrongandgetty.com. You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Featuring our podcast, One More Thing. Get more info at armstrongandgetty.com. Impregnate a woman. What? That's what it is to be a man. Can you impregnate a woman or not? Oh, boy. Or wrestle a bear till it submits. <laughs> Those are the two. I like that second one. <laughs> Hell yeah. Bring it. Bring it, furry. Bring it. Uh, that's a, that's a certain percentage oh. of our audience will. Uh, what? So we're on our little uh, weekend getaway, bro getaway, me and my two boys. Yeah, that's so and cool. And we, we go to uh, a lake area. And we're there, and the lake is really low this time of year, so there's a lot of uh, like muddy banks and stuff like that. It is a reservoir, and um, and we saw giant animal tracks trying to figure out what they were. I dis- they clearly oh, were not a dog or anything like yeah. that. I was thinking bear. Could be a bear there. After I showed pictures to my wife when I got home, they were clearly a mountain lion. Oh. Um, that's obviously what it was. Because yeah. they were way too big to be anything domestic beast. Yeah. But anyway, I was thinking of the bear, and I was, <laughs> I was keeping my eye out for bears, because we're out in the woods, and uh, these were fresh tracks. I mean, these were clearly recent. Oh, my. Um, and I'm just keeping my eye out. Um, in case it's around, I didn't think it was that likely, but keeping my eye out while they're splashing around in the water, and um, and I told them the old joke, which they just not get. I, you know, I don't have to outrun the bear; I just have to outrun you. <laughs> they just could not grasp that. Well, that's because you're their father, and making that joke is horrifying. Probably. I said, picture your best friend Cooper. If there's a bear, you'd say to him. You'd say to Cooper, I don't have to outrun the bear. I just have to outrun you. Yes. <laughs> that means if you can outrun him, the bear eats your friend and you get away. He still didn't, still didn't just quite piece together. While he's busy eating your best, you need to picture it, son. Picture it. <laughs> Maybe wow. that's what threw off the joke, was trying to picture your dad doing that. It was just so hard to come up with. Yes. 
Yes. So anyway, a certain percentage of the audience will recognize uh, that line I threw. That is the first line from the first song uh, from Led Zeppelin's Led Zeppelin, their first album. Oh, really? Which is one of my favorite albums of all time. And what's the line again? I listened to it a zillion times. In the days of my youth, I was told what it means to be a man. Mm. Now I try to do all those things. I try to do my best to do the things the best I can. Anyway, uh uh, I bring that up because I came across this uh, article uh, claiming that 1969 was the greatest uh, year for rock and roll, rock hmm. rock music. Okay, so this is like uh, a while back I had the what was the best year for movies and a whole bunch of movie critics oh, yeah. decided that 74 or something like that, I don't remember, it was 70 something, mm-hmm. was the best year of all time for yeah. movies. Yeah, and these lists pretty much exist to be argued over. Oh, sure. Um, but... Uh, uh, I can make the argument is. 59 because I've come across a number of albums that came out in 59 recently. It's just 59 um, was a crap hole. Unbelievable no that music. they all came no, out in 59. No, but anyway, please. anyway, so 1969, Led Zeppelin's Led Zeppelin. Um, and, and well, the, the, the list has its own pleasures and it'll take shape. Uh, Dusty Springfield's Dusty in Memphis. Is that good? Uh, the hit I'm, single was Son of a Preacher Man. I know that uh, song. It, it was really good, like okay. R&B soul. Neil Young's Neil Young. Sure. Uh, more obscure, but one of my all-time favorites, the Flying Burrito Brothers, The Gilded Palace of Sin, featuring Graham Parsons and uh, Chris Hillman from The Birds, and it's just, if you like that sort of twangy rock, it's fabulous. The Velvet Underground's The Velvet Underground. My favorite um, uh, quote about that album is, not many people bought it, but everybody who did started a band, because hmm. that's the kind of album it is. It's just it was incredibly influential to musicians. Bob Dylan's Nashville Skyline. Joni Mitchell's Clouds. Uh, I don't. Well, she's she's brilliant, no, no doubt. But uh, Sly, chick, chick music. Sly and the Family Stone's Stand. The, Doesn't uh, one of them near, live nearby us? Uh, Remember that story? Somebody from is that. it Sly himself? I think Sly himself lives around out here. In, out in the hills, just keeping to himself and stuff. So. He's a bit of a casualty. But uh, I don't have to outrun the bear. I just <laughs> outrun Sly. <laughs> You know, I remember on an award show. Something tells me you could. Yes? On an award show, Sly and the Family Stone performed, and uh, he just came out. I don't know if you remember this guy. Yes. And he didn't sing a note or do anything, and then he went, like, right backstage. He took a tentative stab or two at his keyboard and then left. Yeah, it it was was very weird. It was weird. Uh, The Who put out Tommy in 1969. Mm. Crosby, Stills, and Nash, self-titled debut. Isaac Hayes, Hot Buttered Soul. Oh, yeah. Which my parents owned a copy of. Which is so out of character for my parents, it's difficult for me to describe. His second album featured four songs, four epic soul workouts. Haven't heard in ages. Nick Drake's first album. Uh, if you're into that, the Stooges put out. The Hate St- the Drake. Uh, the Stooges put out the Stooges. Iggy Pop uh, was born, uh, father of punk rock. Santana, Santana, Janis Joplin. The bands, the band, which is another one of my all-time favorites. It's definitely in my top ten. Beatles, Abbey Road, King Crimson, Led Zeppelin's Led Zeppelin 2, same year as Led Zeppelin 1. Didn't know that. But we do not yet have a champion, my friend. I'm going in chronological order, by the way. Um, and for some reason, they group, well, anyway, stay tuned. Uh, Jefferson Airplanes Volunteers, David Bowie's David Bowie, Creedence Clearwater Revival put out Willie and the Poor Boys, which is a stunningly great album. It's like every song is a single on it, but it's not a greatest hits collection. That was one of three albums they put out in 1969. So you did it back in the day, CCR huh? put out 
Willie and the Poor Boys, Bayou Country, and Green River, all in the same year. So you don't do it like U2 or, you know, various bands. No, U2 went through a phase where they did that. Bad example. Yeah. You're very artists. How about artists. the new Tool album, which a lot of people, I, I finally started listening to it, and if you're into elaborate music, it's amazing. I think it was 14 years since their last album. Mm, that's now that's a hiatus. Almond Brothers, the Almond Brothers. Oh, that's a good album. Rolling Stones, Let It Bleed. Are you kidding? If you're not a big Stones fan, give me shelter. You can't always get what you want in a dozen other fabulous songs. Uh, Jackson 5. Uh, Got any Partridge Family in here? Uh, no. No. That was a pretty damn good year. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I would hate the sort of people that uh, put together those lists, probably. Music critics. They're so annoying. I've said for most of my life that when the re- revolution comes, the first people up against the wall will be music critics. As I despise them. I despise most critics of most things, even as I'm kind of a critic, I it's, guess. On it's the, a weird thing. But I, I, we approach it very, very differently than music critics do, where all they care about is seeming smart and, and smarter and hipper than the musicians who actually busted their ass to make some art. I like the way, like, the New York Times, there, um, I, I read the New York Times a literature review every Sunday or Saturday night. When I go to bed, that's one of my favorite things to do. But they usually have well-known authors writing about another book. So you're somebody that wrote a, a, a really successful history book, and now you're reviewing this history book. Mm. If they did that with music, here's 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 Bruce Springsteen reviewing the new album from you know somebody else. Yeah, at least that's got some meaning. These freaking have never done anything in their lives pompous asses right to spend their whole life sitting in their room with their headphones on complaining about how this album isn't very good you just want to punch them in the face yes <laughs> until the revolution comes oh that's right you've never done anything worth your entire life <laughs> yeah i know it ever Boy, this is getting really deep but i i read something the other day at length it was too long but it's about how the great, the famous critic, was it Dave? No, it wasn't Dave Marsh. Uh, 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 Greil Marcus? Is that a, it's like your most famous rock critic of all time, but he was the, uh, he was the father of the overblown, over-literary, overly, uh, you know, just grandiose uh, criticism, music criticism, and how he ruined criticism for the next 50 years, because now every writer, they write a review of an album purely to prove what a great writer they are, mm. which is just obnoxious and annoying. And it'd be so easy to be a critic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All you have to do is be bitter and be able to string together some sentences. The one we always use as an example for people who are film critics is it's so easy to say, the film was 15 minutes too long. <laughs> I mean, what a, a devastating sort of piece of crap to say. Yeah, no you kidding. can say it about any movie you want. You don't have to prove it. it does just, it's just nothing. Right. It's just, uh, yeah, I, w- I would have, you having made how many successful movies, would have uh, 15 minutes too long. It resorted to too many of the classic tropes. <laughs> Whatever. All right. Oh, that sort of stuff makes my ass tired. Ah, and now I've reached that age. I try to do all those things the best I can. That's the second line from mm. the Led Zeppelin song. Mm. I, I'm a lyric guy. I've got to I know all of them. All of them. My wife thinks I'm a freak, like a Rain Man guy, because a song will come on I haven't heard for 25 years, and I remember all the lyrics. I can't remember stuff I need to know. 
It's uh, mostly got to do with, well, repetition part of it, but um, putting it to music, I guess. And I've always wondered if I, I used to think of this in college when I was memorizing stuff. Why don't I put the preamble to the Constitution? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Uh, Things I I need to memorize to a a cool rock and roll beat and then memorize. I wish I could shove out a lot of lyrics. A song will Hmm. come on. That's just so embarrassing. It's, I would yes. never sing it out loud around anybody because I'd say, you know the words to this song? And I think, how do I get those out of my head? Is it be possible to get that out of my head? I had a song pop into my head this morning when I was getting out of bed. I'm not even going to tell you what it was because it's too shameful. It was a soft rock wuss hit of the sure. 70s. And I, how the hell did that get into my head? I mean, it's literally the moment I was waking up. And um, I can remember the name of the band and I remember most of the words. And it's like, Wow, if only you could clear out the attic so there's room for better stuff. But I don't, it's not the way the brain works, I don't think. Like all my passwords. I had a moment uh, to, uh, when I checked into the hotel with the kids. She asked me my zip code, and I could not come up. Oh. And I thought, this is not good. Oh, I told you, I think, about the time I just woke up from my nap. And I had to, uh, one of our kids was sick, so I had to run to the pharmacy. You didn't know their name. And I'm groggy. <laughs> no, I remembered her name. I uh, You, Blondie. I'm uh, quite groggy for a while after I wake up. And they asked me, uh, what's her birth date? And I could not come up with it. And, of course, when you get <laughs> then nervous, there's no way you're going to get your brain to work. <laughs> and so I was like, the harder I tried, the more nervous and red-faced I got, and the more looks I got from the pharmacy personnel. And they're quietly dying the phone. We have an abductor of some sort here or some weirdo. Well, I'm there in person, and they're l- looking at each other like, oh, my God, the involved dad doesn't even know his little girl's birthday. Oh, my God. Or he's God. making this up because he's, uh, he's high on the kid's medicine. <laughs> right, exactly. He's just a dime-a-tap abuser. <laughs> Whatever the hell I was picking up. <laughs> 1980 was a good year for music. Olivia Newton-John brought us Xanadu. Yes. Good point. Armstrong and Getty. You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. This is the stuff. Armstrong and Getty. Uh, this is uh, this is interesting. It's uh, from the San Francisco Chironicle that everybody, including the organizers of Burning Man, are super bummed out at what it's be- become. Now, this... Discussion would probably be aided if any of us had ever been. I don't think anybody has, huh? No. I have seriously considered, and I feel like I've just missed the window. Yeah, on, yeah. Uh, both in my my age and in what it has become. Good point. Uh, you always have to watch out for that because I've attended so many things in my life that people say it used to be great, now it's ruined, and then I right. went and it was a freaking awesome. Right. So maybe it was better, or maybe just your memory was better, or right. whatever. Right. But, but even but, if it was, right. you know, right. and, I, and things like Mardi Gras or when I went to Sturgis, oh no. It used to be good. It's an, I had a great time. Yeah, mm-hmm. I thought it was fantastic. Or, you know, just a bunch of different things in my life. Now, I could certainly believe that it, it has happened, though, as I've heard the stories over the years. Right. It's not a festival, its organizers say, but the proliferating posts from the playa by Instagram influencers advertising products and showing off luxury amenities might suggest otherwise. Um, they are trying to figure out how to keep it from going completely Instagram. Uh, here's an artist. Man was angry, disenchanted by what he called discriminatory gatekeepers who sought only to include hot girls and other young people as part of their camps and art cars. Right. That just broke my heart, he said. How do we get here? Who thinks this is okay? On or off the playa? This isn't Burning Man. 
You're right about both ends of it, though. Yeah. It's changed and I've changed. Uh, even if it hadn't changed, I'm not going to enjoy it at this point in my life. <laughs> so if I had gone when I was like 30, it would have been fantastic. I would still, I think, enjoy going, but I would have to go with somebody who knows, who's been there before and can kind of act as my, my Sherpa. And a little yeah. historical context as well. Point out, yeah, that used to never happen. You right. see that over there? Because that would be interesting, but... Um, let's see. The practice of convenient consumerism is discordant with the pillars of Burning Man. Luxury camps and all-inclusive packages, that's what I'd do, obfuscate the event's whole point of self-reliance. That's the whole point? I didn't know that. Well, okay. that it started as this weird kind of very much a hippie commune, money's not a thing, man, let's just all kind of get together and experience life together, and now with... And you probably had to know somebody to even know it existed. Yeah. Right, and then it turned into this thing where a lot of tech rich people right. went there, and they just brought their money with it and kind of made these new camps and new things, and it became... And if, for right, instance, in the beginning, in the beginning it was barter. You'd trade your art for something that for somebody else was or doing. Yeah, you, Right. You haven't been to Burning Man, Marshall? No, I've never been to That's Burning surprising. Man. That's surprising. Nope. Uh, I did know some of the people who started Burning Man when it was on Ocean Beach in San Francisco. They yeah, had you know the big bonfires, and pretty much everybody would get half naked and dance around. So I've never been. Which half? That's the key question. <laughs> yes. There are Silicon Valley entrepreneurs who hire people to build them air-conditioned yurts. There are private companies hiring cooks and assistants known as Sherpas. I'm sorry, a yurt? A yurt. It's like a tent thingy. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, there's a history of planes dropping off the wealthiest event goers right in the desert. And famously, in 2017, Google employees FedEx themselves lobster right next to the playa. This is not what Burning Man is supposed yeah, see, to be. That wouldn't bother me as much because the purity of her or whatever. But I've also heard and read about, and I don't understand. This is the person I don't understand at all. I don't understand you people. But the people that just felt like there was too much freedom going on or people doing whatever they want or oh, yeah. worried about them, we those people yeah, yeah. That, that are showing up to have rules or making sure there are no police involved here, making sure they're handling traffic and checking cars, that crowd, yeah. that's what would bum me out. If there's yeah. a rich guy over there, whatever. But the fact that you've decided for others, on behalf of others, to keep them safe, that you need to, uh, to get involved, that just drives me crazy. I hate paternalism in all oh. its forms. Oh, except when there's a father and a child, <laughs> that sort of paternalism is fine with me. In fact, I think it's it's appropriate. Huh? A lot of paternalism in my house. Yeah, I'll bet there is. <laughs> do they rebel against that? They do. You think you're the boss of me? It's like when you hear about uh, people in in Montana or Idaho angry that so many Californians are moving there, oh. and then want to come up with all these different rules. Well, you left California, I think, because of that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. and now you show up in a new place and you want to put it here. I don't, I don't know what's going on there. Well, uh, listen, I'm in touch with plenty of Idahoans, um, and uh, many of whom I had the pleasure to meet during my brief sojourn to Boise. Joe Palooza, exactly. <laughs> and um, and and uh, yeah, it is near universal. Montana's the same thing. And some of it's people leaving California because they don't like the culture of California. Some of it's just it's too crowded, too expensive, or whatever. So they take their Marin County sensibility to you know Cartelane or something, or uh, you know, or, or uh, Bozeman, Montana, um, and. They are rapidly becoming nanny state, progressive, uh, lots of rules, uh, lots of money, uh, you know, complete um, 
mutations of what they used to be fairly recently, and people are freaking out and really unhappy about it. I, I don't blame to, them. I was trying to think of something. Do I know something that has changed for the worse? Austin. Austin, Texas was way cooler the first time I was ever there in the early 90s than the last time I was there in the mid-2000s. In what way? Uh... It's, it felt like a small town because it was. It's like quintupled in size since then. Mm-hmm. And f- the famous Sixth Street was just a long string of tiny bars with local bands, and you didn't pay anything. You just walked around and watched. God, it sounds like a dream come true. It was so awesome. And it wasn't that crowded. And you threw money in the bucket when they sent it around for tips if you liked the band, and it yeah. was just fantastic. And now it's it's giant clubs and cover charges and acts from around the world trying to make it big. Just a just completely different feel. So crowded you can't move. Right, like Napa Valley. Yeah, exactly. Napa would be a good example. Nobody would claim Napa. Oh, anybody who says Napa's not cool anymore, you need to go, no, no, don't go to Napa. You don't want to go to Napa. You can buy the wine, but yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. No, absolutely. No. Perfect example. It's the Disneyland so, of wine. Sometimes things do get ruined yeah. by becoming too big or popular. Yeah. We haven't had that problem. No, luckily, <laughs> we're still Thank small. God. Still a cult band. <laughs> Accessible. Oh, haven't yeah. had that disastrous uh, fame and money thing right. that it can really, you know. It's amazing how much constant humiliation can kind of trim the ego. And barely getting by. I'm, it just I'm grateful keep, for it. keeps you grounded. Right. Grounded. That's what we are. Huh? <laughs> Wouldn't want to change. You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Featuring our podcast, One More Thing. Get more info at armstrongandgetty.com.